0: Well, we all made it back safely from our adventures in Lakeland, Florida. A big thank you to all our friends down at Linder Regional for their great hospitality. Amy was unable to join us down south, so she's come by the hangar this morning to fill us in. And light aircraft guy Dan pulls over to the side of the road to check in with his take. We marvel at a physicist in zero-G, a T-28 on the beach... And an alcohol powered air show team. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 26, Zero G.
1: You don't really need to push off. <laughs> Somebody goes, womb, boom.
2: I have this picture of Juan Valdez with his mule and a bag of coffee. So,
3: nothing, nothing wrong with a bag of coffee,
2: but.
4: We used to see on the circuit an alcohol powered Air show team. We were an
2: alcohol-powered air show team. How's that sound? Works for me.
0: Okay. Okay, Dave, you still there? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Everybody set? Everybody got your beverages?
2: Yeah, I got mine. Oh yeah, pot of
0: coffee. I'll survive. I have more beverages here this morning than I know what to do with. I have tap water, Poland Springs water, and coffee. Anyways. I'm
1: not even going to ask why.
0: I'm not even going to ask why either.
1: Why? <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it, don't you? Don't you, Dave?
0: <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast, episode number 26. Uh... We've got a big gang here this morning, or bigger than usual. Not as big as last week's extravaganza, but uh, we do have uh, an impressive collection of folks in the virtual hangar this morning. And let me kind of get things right underway and uh, say hello to some of these folks. Let's see now. from uh, see. Uh, In a minute, I'll explain why I'm so incredibly disorganized this morning. I mean, even more disorganized than usual. Beat you to it, Jeb. (laughs) Man, (laughs) not going there. Not going there. That's Jeb Burnside. Jeb is talking to us uh, from back home in Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is, of course, a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWebBiz. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, everybody.
2: I hope... hope everybody's got more coffee in their system than I do.
0: <laughs> I want to uh, publicly thank Jeb for being such a wonderful host to me on the uh, trip down and back to uh, Sun and Fun. Uh, it was a blast. He welcomed me and was home for a couple of nights, and uh, uh, we had a good old time, and then flying down and back was a lot of fun, too. So thank you, yeah. Jeb. Appreciate oh, that.
2: My, it's my pleasure, Jack. Anytime, and the uh, door is always open. We'll do it again soon.
0: Thank you. You may regret saying that, but I'm... Well, well. no issues. <laughs> also with us this morning, Dave Higdon from... Uh, Dave, you're back in Wichita, right? Right? I'm back in Wichita. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Good morning, David. Hello,
4: airshow survivors and all the planes in the air. Hope everybody's <laughs> having a good spring. It is bloody freezing here. Really? really Uh, 40 40, 45 degrees when i walked out to the office this morning we had
2: summer here earlier in the week and
0: uh, i'll tell you jeb and i just imported all that beautiful florida weather back up the east coast because it was wonderful by the time we got back to to the dc area and then i brought it along back up to new england so it's nice here (laughs) Sucker. <laughs> and also with That's us okay. M- it's headed your way, Jebster. <laughs> also with us this morning is our friend Amy Laboda. Amy is uh, the editor in chief of Aviation for Women magazine and a contributing editor to EAA Sport Aviation uh, magazine. Good morning, Amy. How are you?
1: I'm just fine. And uh, by the way, the weather is fine here. Now, where Still.
0: where are you? You're on the road this morning, right?
1: No, actually, um, I'm still in southwest Florida oh, this okay. morning. Uh-huh. I should be on the road this afternoon.
0: Oh, yeah. see, I was going to be very impressed because when we arranged for you to join us this morning, I thought you were going to like, be on the west coast, and we were going to wake you up at 7 o'clock in the morning to be on the podcast. But uh...
1: Well, I thought so, too, but, you know, the west coast and the mid-state's uh, uh, weather wasn't so good, and that caused yeah. me to have to reschedule everything this week. You know, aviation is like that. You go when the weather's good. You stay home when the weather's not.
2: If you have time to spare, you go, air, by, go air. by air. There you go. There you
1: go. <laughs>
0: Two minds without a single thought. <laughs> Three.
4: <laughs> and well, uh, you, a- 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 Amy, let me tell you, having s- sat through what passed through from uh, from the Mexico border all the way up to Canada, it seemed you were wise not
0: to come here. Then it was I'll ugly. Tell
1: you what. There are old pilots and there are bold pilots. You know how it goes. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and uh, just to finish the thought, I am Jack Hodgson. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. I am a private pilot, an aviation writer, and a new media producer. And uh, and I'm Me, relegated. Jeff. And so here's the disorganized part. Um, I My home office is in the front of the house, looking over the street. And they are doing road construction out there. They've been working their way up the street. They're installing new sewer lines or something. And, of course, this morning, uh, the morning that we're going to record the podcast, is the morning they decided to reach... To the front of my house and so there's a big old hunk and uh, pump right now that's doing something to the sewer and and uh, the you can hear the construction equipment in the distance so i've kind of retreated to a room at sort of the far side of the house and i've got like a really lashed up thing i've got my laptop and i've got my my uh, you know my little notes here and so you're uh, saying you're monitor challenged today I, I am monitor challenged i realize
2: I've, of course that in about ten minutes they're going to slice through your broadband
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you guys you guys continue on without me then and uh, and uh, tell Tell me how it comes out. Yeah, I've I've had similar technical challenges. I uh, uh,
2: yesterday decided to rebuild my uh, computer, my work computer, and uh, new motherboard, new CPU, new power supply, new RAM, new video card, the whole shebang. So if I make and, it through, if I if I make it through this uh, uh, this recording episode today, uh, I will have done my work correctly. And you did it without breaking the hammer. Did it without breaking the hammer. Um, um, drinking was involved. <laughs> there was all involved, um, but uh, it, it does seem to be you know flying in close formation here. So I was I'll tell sitting. You, at-
1: what, you are a true masochist, Jeff. I I, well,
2: I had to do it uh, Tuesday when I was facing a couple of deadlines. The computer decided to just spontaneously shut itself down about five times, uh, and I I didn't have I don't have time to, to uh, investigate it, bird dog it, sh- troubleshoot it. Um, I just have to go out and buy new parts and install them and, and move on. So.
0: I was sitting at my keyboard last evening, late last evening, and, and my Skype, the Skype rang on my screen, and it said De- Jeb was calling, and so I answered, and and there was silence at the other end of the line, <laughs> and I said, oh, Jeb's been messing around with his computer again. <laughs> after about two more attempts, I finally actually heard his voice, and uh, he, he seemed to have it running more well now, though. It sounds great, so... Uh, yeah, the world, the world will never be the same. <laughs> that's right. Amy, we had, we had hoped that you would be able to join us on our little extravaganza last week down in Lakeland, but your travel plans were such that you didn't make it into town before we did our recording. Um, we did have a chance to chat with you offline later on, and we'd be interested to hear some of the things that you saw or were involved with down there that you thought were interesting.
1: Well, I think one of the, one of the first, and I am so sorry that I was not able to join you. I heard it was a wonderful, wonderful thing that Sun and Fun Radio took great care of you. They did a good uh, job. They were very nice we to us. We appreciate that. Um, however, what I saw there that was really neat, you know where I went? I went down on the line all the way to the west section of the flight line where the automobile adaptations were, uh-huh. and I saw some fun little airplanes. Like what? Um, well, I saw, let's see, an RV with uh, Wankel in it. I saw a um, Sonex with a Corvair. Huh. Engine in it. And uh in fact that was a little bit uh interesting. I have a joke in there somewhere.
4: No, there is there ever. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: <laughs> and he he was there at Sun and Fun on Friday looking for an engine. God bless him. Who and his name? A, it's a good friend of mine, Frank. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, Frank Frank is learning how to fly and building an airplane at the same time, which is a whole other subject. We're not going there. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I get the most interesting questions from Frank, like, why do I need an airspeed indicator? Um, anyhow, <laughs> to go on, uh, he saw this Corvair, and he thought, oh, my gosh, I could do that? And I said, Frank,
2: the hang question on. Is not so much, can you? The question is, why would you?
1: Well, it looked real nice in the, yeah. in the application yeah. it was in, and yeah. the, the guy who was flying it said it flew real nice. And, but, but when you choose to build an airplane, you are taking on a particular set of problems. Mm-hmm. When you then decide on top of that to build the engine for that airplane, you have just opened up pandora 's box right. to a whole new set of challenges, and not that you can 't do it it 's just that you sometimes you have to really counsel people how much do you want to do at one time right. and is that wise well you know, it 's interesting on this guys
2: it 's interesting you bring it up in that fashion because uh, one of the items on our list to discuss today is the double engine failure of the uh, prototype or one of the prototype diesel uh, uh, um, Diamond DA-42s, the the piston diesel-powered piston twin, and apparently what happened um, is the test pilots were launching on a on a test flight uh, the night before. Somehow the battery uh, drained on the aircraft. Don't know how they got it started uh, and got the engines running. Now keep in mind that. Uh, um, this uh, t alert uh, diesel uh, engine is uh, completely electronic in other words it has to have ship's electrical power to run there's some redundant systems built into the airframe etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, but they got they got the engines running uh, went to take off retracted the gear and the electrical load on the airframe systems uh, to power the gear retraction cycle Um, Tripped offline the engine control systems and they had a double power failure. Put the airplane down, everybody got out. Um, That's just an illustration of how airframe systems, engine systems in experimental aircraft need to play well and work together. Obviously, these people, uh, Diamond uh, has a few more engineers than the average home builder at their disposal. Well, if yes. you check Pan- if you check Pandora's record with the FAA, it's
4: never been very good. No,
1: no, uh, I, and and the reality of the situation is that auto engines are always going to be very very attractive mm-hmm. options, except except well. and, and and the caveat there is that you open yourself up. For a whole nother realm of experimental aviation. The the where you appeal, start messing with
0: the engine. I, I'm no auto mechanic person by a long shot. Um, but apparently the appeal of the Corvair engine is uh, first of all there's a huge community of Corvair hobbyists. I mean to the extent that amateurs know about building and maintaining Corvair engines, it's probably one of the most well understood ones out there. The other thing that's notable about, about the Corvair engine, I believe I'm right about this, is that they are air cooled engines. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that makes them uh, particularly, uh, uh, well, it kind of gets them a step ahead of the game, so to speak. But uh, in,
2: the, in the old days, shall we say, uh, 60s, 70s, um, Volkswagen engines were very popular for uh, experimental aircraft for obvious reasons. They are A, plentiful, B, air-cooled. Um, but C, it's, inexpensive. It's, yeah.
1: Inexpensive. Can uh, we get back to that, right? Yeah, it's exactly. It's very attractive.
2: Yeah. Um, <sighs> Automotive engines in aircraft have, shall we say, a checkered history. Um, one of the main reasons for that is they're simply not designed for long-term high power output. Um, you want a uh, an airplane engine uh, designed from the ground up as an airplane engine uh, is designed um, relatively low RPM and, and to produce high power at that RPM. Um, turning the prop directly. There's no reduction drive, etc. An automotive engine, you, you really need to put a reduction drive in there. That introduces a whole other order of complexity. Uh, but more importantly, those engines aren't designed uh, to run at 75, 80 percent of their rated power for long periods of time, like an airplane engine is. And some, you pay, some of them will do
4: it, but their lifespan goes down. Uh, exactly.
2: Uh, Fast.
1: Yeah. Well, and th- therein lies the rub. You can certainly do this and and not spend a lot of money on it, but you're going to spend money again soon. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And now, reliability becomes an issue. Uh-huh. If your lifespan on the engine is suddenly reduced, and instead of a 1,700 hour TBO, and I use that very loosely because there is no TBO in experimental aviation, truly, um, then all of a sudden you've got a 300 hour TBO that's a lot of times to rebuild that engine. Sure.
4: Particularly when you've got to uh, spend at least the first 40 hours flying in a test area just to get the FAA to smile and say, okay, that's your baby now. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and, and there's one more thing, and this I think is what finally convinced Frank um, that despite the elegance of what he saw in front of him, probably wasn't a smart idea, you have to start all over. If the kit manufacturer recommends an engine and builds an engine mount for that engine and a firewall-forward package for that engine, what are they trying to tell you?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So-, so you have to redesign all that if you're going to go, with with a different engine um so anyhow that was one notable that i that i saw there yeah
0: jeb and dave you uh i mean we obviously heard some of your reaction to the show but then we got a chance to wander around for about another day afterwards and and then maybe thinking about it since then anything else come to mind that was outstanding from sun and fun this year
4: i was uh i was more than a little impressed that uh two years in uh there seems to be no slack in, in the uh in the acceleration of light sport aircraft development. Uh, saw two or three new uh, designs there. A couple of resurrected uh, experimental designs that uh, the new manufacturers are doing things to make them light sport eligible and planning on bringing them back. Uh, one of them that I've always been attracted to, a little open cockpit tandem, uh, the Warner Revolution, uh, new company, Revolution Aircraft. they they redesigned the wing, they took out the wood spars, uh, shaved uh, I guess close to 200 pounds out of the airplane by going to an all-metal wing and and making some other changes. Uh, What I was most disappointed in, and disappointed maybe a little bit strong, is that there seems to be very little very little movement in the ELSA area. That's uh, where you can buy a kit that is not 51% eligible for experimental amateur built. Uh, It's easier to put together, faster to put together, and when you do put it together it is uh, qualified as a light sport aircraft which can be flown by a sport pilot license holder. Uh, It doesn't seem to be as much movement there as I think a lot of us expected, and uh, the the word talking to some of the uh, manufacturers was that the Uh, The numbers just don't seem to be there. Hmm. Uh, There didn't seem to be as much interest from the market as they expected. uh, And and since there is some uh, expense and effort required to get the compliance uh, certification uh, for uh, an ELSA, just as there is an SLSA, uh, the the market doesn't seem to be moving much in that direction. Several companies were talking about it. Uh, our old friend Chuck Slesarjic with CGS Aviation in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, he was celebrating the 25th anniversary of his Hawk ultralight design at Sun and Fun, where it was introduced in 1982. Uh, he's working on an SLSA version of the Hawk, two place. It'll be wider. It'll meet the weight restrictions. Uh, when asking in, in asking Chuck about an ELSA version of it. He said he'd have to see if the demand was there, but so far, what he's hearing most from buyers
2: or uh, interested in people is uh, about a ready-to-fly version. So, uh, what well, you think? It, that's it, a price thing, a, a time thing, or uh, they just they just want to buy something they can go fly. I think part of it is price uh,
4: because you know Chuck's price point, and I'm not going to quote a price point on it here because he's still noodling right. an engine decision, and that's going to have a major major effect on what he can sell it for. But uh, he acknowledged that how much less expensively he could sell make and sell an ELSA kit really doesn't provide as much price differentiation as he'd hoped. Uh, the uh, price point that he's looking at for an SLSA, or ready-to-fly version of it, is uh, going to make it, I think, fairly attractive to people who you know don't look aren't looking for an airplane that goes 120 knots for a thousand nautical miles like some of the newer designs but want something that's uh comfortable at 85 you know 80 85 knots and let him uh put along with a friend uh for 500 600 miles uh, then he already has his experimental amateur built kit for the 2 seat and the price difference isn't going to be all that, uh, all that dramatic so he, he's not sure as uh, Jeb would put it the juice is going to be worth the squeeze yeah.
0: we're going to yeah. return to LSA a little bit later in the podcast why don't we kind of hold this conversation until sure. then um, Jeb any, uh, any final thoughts or? or well uh, I, I'll kind of echo some, some thoughts I, th- I think we
2: discussed uh, a week or so ago and that uh, was basically it was a great show um, the, the field was pretty full uh, at least the the days that uh, i were i was there i mean david and i drove around looking around and, and uh trying to get a feel for the turnout um i think the uh, i think the attitudes were upbeat positive um unlike a couple of years ago when when fuel prices were starting to increase creep up um the uh, hangars where the uh the uh commercial exhibitors of commercial vendors were located uh seemed crowded i had uh uh, trouble uh, on a couple of occasions getting to uh, you know the front of the line to uh, um, buy something or inquire about something at a couple of booths. Um, crowds were were busy. Um, I, I heard a couple of discouraging words, um, uh, but I heard a lot more positive feedback from from vendors and attendees, exhibitors, etc. Uh, and the discouraging words were um, uh, from people I, I don't, uh, uh, I would tend to discount, let me put it that way. Uh-huh. Um, so- between uh, the, the only real hassle I had, or the only real problem I had, was getting fuel put in the airplane to get out of there. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dave and, and Jack are, are familiar with that problem. But uh, um, no, I, the system seemed to work well. Um, and actually, you know, I had a couple of controller issues, but uh, I always have a couple of controller issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, I had no issues. I think it was a great show. Uh, it was a great way to kick off the. Uh, um, the 08, I mean, the 07 uh, uh, flying season. and Yeah, uh, please,
4: let's not get too far. Yeah, let's not go to I'm
2: 08.
0: Yeah. It was a good lick It was and, and, and by the way Let me take this opportunity To thank all of our friends Down at Sun and Fun For being such wonderful absolutely. hosts Absolutely um, The gang at Sun and Fun Radio Were terrific uh, uh, You know From the top down Their leader Dave Shelbetter Who really kind of Made it happen for us And he was a terrific host And uh, a very understanding guy Through a bunch of it, snafus it From Sun, time to Sun time or, Was Sun and Fun Radio Was Sun and Fun Radio And they're wonderful and people radio. And I'm not going any further with, Than that I'm not, I'm not going there either And of course We also want to thank uh, uh, John Burton, the, the big guy down there at Sun and Fun, and also Donna Gabriel, uh, who is the uh, the uh, Director of Communications and Marketing, who was a terrific host of ours as well. Thank you to everyone down there. We had an awesome time, and uh, and they've already invited us to come back next year, and I can't imagine that we won't take them up on that invitation. I'll
1: tell you what, dear, you definitely will. You, people people don't realize what it takes to, to pull off an air show like that oh, yeah. over the, a whole week and uh you know they were blessed with beautiful weather this time.
2: Yeah.
4: It was yeah. great. Oh the it was night great fire the night fireworks uh show and the uh, uh closing fireworks display Friday night were uh just phenomenal. Uh and amazing the performances that the different acts were able to pull off because as the uh, sun set on the crowd Friday evening the wind velocity came up and uh, about 90 degrees to uh, the the active runway 927, and made the uh, made the uh, chore of flying those routines at night even a little more challenging than they already are. Uh, there were just there was a huge crowd on on, on the grounds uh, for that show, and all you need to all you needed for evidence of that was to get stuck in the traffic queue trying to leave the grounds when the fireworks died down. Uh-huh. Uh, I understand, I wasn't there for it, but I understand that uh, Saturday night's, uh, or Saturday evening's concert with uh, the country music star Aaron Tippin, a very active pilot, uh, was also uh, quite a success and uh, we're hoping to see them do more like that in coming years. But a particular shout out to Donna, uh, Donna Gabriel. Uh, Donna just came on in her position is is the communications honcho there last fall. And uh, this was her son and first son-in-fun. And, fun. and uh, judging by the smile and the uh, relatively cheery attitude that uh, I saw her maintain through most of the show, she managed to survive drinking from the fire hydrant uh, without losing her sense of humor or her perspective.
2: So I, I, I would echo that. I, er, er, just about everywhere I went um, uh, the three or four days we were down there, uh, I saw a and she always had a smile on her face, she was always handling things very professionally and uh, it all it all got handled so
0: uh, she she definitely did do a very good job yep thanks again to sun and fun can 't wait till next year. Uh, let's quickly we'll move be into back we'll be back let's quickly move into a couple of non sun and fun things here here's the one I want to talk about first um, so apparently Amy reminded me of this this morning I had read this story and uh, today is the day that uh, famous physicist Stephen Hawking is going to ride the zero g airplane um, which is pretty cool I think um, what makes it especially cool is Amy you were telling me that you actually rode that thing one time
1: I did what was fact. that like so- it was it was the ride of the century. It was it was indescribable. Yes, definitely. Uh, throw your cash on the table. Go do it. Uh-huh. That, that's yeah. the first thing I can tell you. Um, we went up. There were 27 of us. You do a, a two-hour ground briefing, and they really explain to you the physiology of it and the physics of it. So physiology, uh-huh. what's going on inside of you? Why you feel the way you do? Physics is how the 727 does the par- parabolas, and why they start with uh, the lunar gravity, the Martian gravity, and then and then of course zero gravity, so that they work you up.
0: Mm -hmm. basically
1: um and this would be the
4: far 121 instant weight loss program
1: (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you it it was definitely that are are any of you guys scuba divers because that's about the only thing you can equate it to Uh the closest you're going to get to this feeling is by scuba diving even skydiving which i have done quite a bit of Um, doesn't compare because in skydiving, the winds in your face, your ears are popping. There's there's a certain level of discomfort and not to mention that feeling of acceleration when you come out the door. The, it's not my most favorite thing in the world. I know some people yeah. really love that part of it. You think? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not in it for that. <laughs> okay, um, but but with the with the um, parabolic flights, the the most that you have to tolerate are the high G's, and when I say high G's, never more than two, uh-huh. on the back side of the parabola right. uh-huh. when you come back down. One part of it that um, I've
0: always been curious about is what's the sort of transition in and out of the reduced G like? Is it gradual? Or is it suddenly gone and back? Or how does that work? Uh,
1: It's as gradual as as the uh, dive, quite frankly. So what they're doing, they're going very smoothly. And these airplanes have been modified. They even have a patent on the modifications they've done to create positive hydraulic pressure throughout the system, all the way through the parabolas um, on these seven twenty sevens. They're also padded. That's important. Let me tell you how important that is for the first time when they say you don't really need to push off somebody goes Whoom Boom <laughs> The funniest thing I heard was talking to the flight engineer who thought the first time that he was he was flying a flight he thought there were compressor stalls going on because he kept hearing these boom 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 What boom. was the people bouncing off the walls in the back? <laughs> He's pretty funny. He's, he's looking at his engine instruments going, what, what? <laughs> so how,
0: how long does the actual, you know, the, the flight, the span of time from the first reduced G to the last? How long is that?
1: Well, really what you're talking about are 25, 27 second intervals. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of time until you go weightless. And it's plenty of time, and you're going to do it 11 or 12 times and you're going to build up and you're going to do one of two things you're going to blow your cookies after about three times <laughs> or you are going to love it
0: uh-huh or both <laughs> or both
1: uh, very rarely once nausea sits in do you fully appreciate the uh, okay. rest of the ride well that um, sounds
4: go uh, ahead are, are, are the windows blocked off on the aircraft
1: no they're not so and you can i was to ride it I came out of Fort Lauderdale and I was delighted to see my home airport pass underneath me on the way out into the Gulf. They run these in blocks of 10,000 feet, basically between 24 and 34,000 feet. And they do it in big old warning areas out in the middle Uh of the desert for Las Vegas and in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico in in the south. So they get out of the way of everybody else, obviously, to be able to pull a block altitude like that to do their thing in. And they do get limited by other traffic. Occasionally they'll pause mm-hmm. and let traffic go by. Mm-hmm. Now, this um, is the
2: commercial uh, endeavor, is it not? Versus the this mass is, military. It's Peter
1: Siegfried. Diamandis, you might remember his name uh-huh. um, from, from the X Prize. associated with the X Prize. That's exactly okay. right. And let me tell you that he's not charging Stephen anything to do yeah. this. I spoke with Will Whitehorn, who intends to make Stephen Hawking one of his passengers on the commercial uh flights into space. One of the first passengers I might add. And this flight is a lead in to see how Steven does. Yep. And uh, why are they doing it? Because Steven has ALS and he hasn't moved or gotten away from gravity in years. Right. And they're and they're really trying to see um whether or not zero gravity conditions could help someone with this disease.
0: Ah, well, oh, that is very cool. And the name of the airline is Zero G. Zero G. We'll, Zero G. That's we'll put exactly
1: the right.
0: we'll put the web address in the show notes. And uh, good luck to Stephen. Um, we're both jealous and uh, and wishing him well. And uh, we'll probably hear more about how that goes in the in the upcoming days.
1: I'm looking forward to hearing how he liked it. I really, really hope. It is the experience that he is hoping for.
0: Absolutely. Before we move on, uh, I want to remind everyone that in addition to listening to this podcast, we hope that you will all visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. There's all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, you can see the show notes for all of our shows with links to the web pages we talk about and other background information. You can listen to previous episodes. You can check out the Uncontrolled Airspace blog where we post GA related items that we're following. You can get the phone number for our listener line. So so that you can leave us a message, so we, that we might even use on the podcast, and you can sign up for our reminder email list. Also, you can get instructions on how to get a free subscription to the podcast through one of the Podcatcher programs like iTunes or iPodder or Juice or others. And we also want to want to remind remind everyone that you should tell all your friends that you do not need an iPod to listen to podcasts like this one. You can download the cast to any portable audio device, or just listen on your laptop or desktop computer. So visit the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. One visit a week, that's all we ask. Joining us now in the virtual hangar is our friend Dan Johnson. Uh, Dan is the uh, hang gliding and ultralight pioneer. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the people responsible for getting Dave involved in all this stuff. Uh, dun 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 dun. <laughs> uh, Dan is also an aviation journalist and, oh, by the way, the chairman of the board of the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association. Good morning, Dan. Good
3: morning gentlemen and Amy
0: Good morning. so so Dan is joining us this morning uh, once again by cell phone once again from his uh, his motor home. Uh, not in quite the exotic not in quite the exotic location you were last time uh, as I understand it you're actually in transit but you've pulled over to talk with us for a while whereabouts are you in America?
3: Well we're near uh, Macon Georgia making our way back from uh, Sun and Fun to the North Country.
0: Uh, so that's where that's where Higdon got his weird sense of humor. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not taking credit for that either. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, that was genetic.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit. We we had we had hoped that you would be able to uh, join us on the uh, podcast extravaganza last week, but you were so busy with all your different responsibilities down there in Lakeland that you weren't able to come by. But we would love to hear about uh, you know some of your reactions to the show and and some of the uh, the uh, things that you were personally involved in down there. What's going on?
3: Well, we had a, it was really quite a show for the uh, light aircraft crowd. Um, most notably, uh, we have worked a new deal. We Lama have worked a new deal with Sun and Fun to assist them as their visitors come in the front gate to help them locate the light sport or ultralight or light airplane company of that they're seeking because. As we uh, all know, they're scattered all over the grounds of Sun and Fun. If you're a manufactured aircraft or vintage or whatever you've long since established an area where everyone tends to collect, but the uh, LSA crowd being new in the aviation world uh, is just kind of picking spaces where they can find them. So to go compare airplanes is a bit challenging and certainly if you don't even know where they are. So we had a nice big space right smack at the entrance. Almost no exhibitors and maybe no journalists know where that spot is because all those folks come in at a different entrance. But everybody else came in and walked right by the llama tent where we had a couple of different LSAs on display every day. They changed, so it was a different view every day. And it turned out to be just a real hit. People would come in and say, look, I'm looking for... Uh, brand X, Y, or Z, and we'd say, come on over here to the nice nice big map and we'll show you right where they are and tell you just how to get there, and we got a lot of good response to that, and, Son and Fun wants to continue that and, in fact, expand that idea for 2008 and in the future. Very smart.
2: Very smart. Every every time you say uh, llama, uh, uh, DJ, I have this picture of Juan Valdez <laughs> with his mule and a, and a bag of coffee, but... Uh,
3: um, <laughs> <laughs> That's because so nothing, of, nothing wrong with a bag of coffee, but what we got is uh, a bag of bolts.
4: <laughs> that's, that's that's just Jim lusting for the caffeine he hasn't had
0: yet. That's what uh, I figured it was too.
3: Well, Beach. yeah, I, I've got mine, so I don't know what your problem
0: is, but uh. what else was Dan? What else was notable in your world down there last week?
3: Well, the other thing is we had a uh, a major announcement uh, by LAMA, and I keep doing that. It's Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, as you mentioned, kindly, and uh, we're sort of the little guys to the gamma side of things, I guess. But uh, we made a major announcement, and uh, this has to do with three of the driest words you'll ever hear, compliance, verification, audit. Uh, nobody but a regulator or maybe an engineer could love those words, but uh, uh, it's something lawyer. new that Lama has started. And how it connects to consumers and how it's a lot more interesting than those words is that as a time goes on, additional companies will join the four that started the game and will start wearing a Llama decal on the side of an LSA showing that after a manufacturer has made his statement of compliance saying that he is uh, uh approved under the ASTM consensus standards and is therefore certified aircraft um, at the two year point they're required to do their own internal audit under the program but many are embracing the idea of a voluntary uh third party audit that they have to pay for but which is much more modest in cost than something like a 9001 audit mm. and when they're done with such an audit it says that Look, uh, we're not saying that the airplane is any different than it was uh, or is perceived to be, but the manufacturer who said he complies has indeed done the things that he's supposed to do. And to a consumer, then, it's like looking for the good housekeeping seal of approval or the underwriter Laboratories label. It says, look, this airplane is whatever it is, but it has been verified to have met the standards, and therefore you as a consumer can feel a little more... uh, uh, certain about the certification. We're all used to a world where FAA and and therefore government certifies airplanes. That has changed dramatically with LSA. Industry certifies them, and some people have wondered if that's a real system, and here's a way for consumers to know if it's real or not. So at Sun & Fun, uh, with uh, assistance from our friends at EAA in the form of uh, Senior Vice President Bob Warner, we made the first four presentations to companies that have gone through and satisfactorily completed such a compliance verification audit and got their first set of stickers that they can be applied to the side of their airplane so a consumer can now walk up and go, ah, okay, this is one of those that has been through a compliance, a third-party audit, somebody not on the payroll, look this airplane over, and I I can feel a little bit better about the purchase decision I may make on that airplane. Interesting. Hmm. Sure. We also, uh, there was another big show going on in, in Germany called Aero that has uh, taken a lot of energy and through some lousy planning, uh, the two occurred simultaneously. So Lama actually made a simultaneous announcement with our president, Tom Gunnarsson, uh, being joined by EAA president Tom Pobrezny on the stage in Aero making the same announcement to the same manufacturers over there. Uh, and so we're, uh, you know, a small organization. We're pretty proud of that development that we've taken this uh, step that is so um, appreciated by organist- member organizations like EAA, but also from FAA. Marion Blakey herself was very, very uh, encouraged by what she considers a voluntary third-party compliance audit. It's
4: very smart. Again, that
3: stuff's really dry, but you know, you want to know you're buying something good. How do you know that if you're not an engineer? or had a chance to really inspect the company. And here's one more tool to use in making the right decision. Very cool.
4: That's Dan, great. do uh, companies that go through this uh, uh, compliance audit uh, have to repeat this periodically to, to, to be able to continue to apply those stickers?
3: Uh, yes, every two years.
4: Every two years. So this isn't a one-shot right. thing where things can change dramatically and no one would ever know. If they continue the compliance audits every two years, the consumers uh, should have some confidence that they're fairly consistent and, and they're meeting the standards year in, year out.
3: Yes, and in fact, uh, we're also confident that those that whole process... Uh, the manufacturer making the declaration in the first place, and Lama going in and doing a third-party audit on the second place, will just get better over time because we'll all get better at doing this, and we'll learn the uh, ins and outs of doing it well. and And I think that it's a strong thing for consumers. That's important as our numbers start to rise. Uh, the special light sport aircraft uh, community is now closing on a thousand airplanes in the U.S. registry. That's only after two years' time. Ooh wow! And, uh, wow.
1: That's astounding. Now, Dan, can I ask you a, a question? It's come from looking around, and this is purely anecdotal, so maybe you can, you can back it up with some fact or, or dismiss it completely. Most of the light sport aircraft are being manufactured outside of the United States. Um, that, again, would be another key reason why you had to make this announcement in two places at once, Yes.
3: Uh, you're right, Amy. That uh, of of the now 50 models that have been through uh, approval for special light sport aircraft, which just hit number 50 uh, before Sun and Fun began. Um, about two thirds of those are still being uh, sourced from out of the United States. That'll change. We're going to have more and more Americans as time goes on. And another interesting thing is happening: that component parts are coming in and being assembled by U.S. companies just the way Boeing builds airplanes actually. Hey. Uh but you're right, uh, most of them are currently out of the US uh, primarily eastern Europe, especially the Czech Republic is very very strong in supplying these kind of aircraft. So doing a dual announcement uh in Germany and going to Prague in the UK, in the Czech Republic for another ASTM meeting in June are all part of trying to say, "Hey, we want to enfranchise these suppliers to American consumers, but also this whole ASTM International set of things that we've developed is, is really very international, and the European community is looking at adopting a similar set of rules. They just announced that Aero.
2: DJ, I'm que- oh, sorry, Amy. Jab go uh, ahead. Question for you, DJ. You mentioned that you use the word approval for for uh, uh, when it applies to new LSA airframes. Who actually provides that approval? Is that an FAA thing? Is that an industry thing? Is it uh, ASTM? Who does that approval?
3: Well, it's kind of a combination. It, it starts off as an ASTM standard. Now, ASTM itself is not a regulatory agency. They just assist industry groups in writing standards or specifications, right. and that's what they've done. But they get the sort of the title uh, billing on this, so it's called ASTM standards. And the industry devises those, and then a company just says, okay, we meet them, they make a declaration, they fill out some FAA forms, and bang, they're done. Okay. How we know that that gets... Uh, a uh, confirmed a little further is in lieu of them having a production certificate, as any Part 23 producer does, they are, each one, every single airplane, all 1,000 of those that we're closing on, have to be reviewed by a designated airworthiness representative. Now, that can take the form of an FAA official who comes out and looks at an airplane, but usually is a private individual, much like a designated pilot examiner that uh, many pilots are used to dealing with when they go get an increase in their rating or whatnot. And so the process is the manufacturer just says, I comply. Then a DAR has to inspect each and every airplane, and they are to also confirm that the right stuff was done and the right documents exist. And then we follow all that up with this third-party compliance audit. And we believe that the combination of these things will give Consumers the same assurances that they have uh, under a government system, perhaps sure. even better because I would say better. because it's government, uh, it's industry done. If there's any problem, these changes can be changes to the specifications can be made very quickly. So we think it's a uh, improvable process that might actually end up being superior to anything FAA has been able to accomplish.
4: And the DAR that's a, that's an FAA uh, approved person, correct?
3: Exactly. They they have to go to a class. Uh, they, have to, they have to first be invited. Not just everybody can stick their hand up and become a DAR. There has to be some credential in the background for these individuals. Then they have to go take classes and learn how FAA wants to do it. And And then as they go start doing it, of course, they're observed and and their documents checked carefully by FAA. So FAA is still very much involved with what we're doing, but they're not the, the feet-on-the-street people that are out there looking at these airplanes on a general basis.
0: Excellent. Dan, um, in, in addition to your work evangelizing light sport aircraft, um, <laughs> uh, we obviously know that you are a longtime pilot and lover of aviation. Did you get a chance to just kind of, you know, as a civilian wander around sun and fun and see anything nice?
3: Yeah, I got to uh, get around quite a bit. I got to go over to my favorite little airport three miles south of, uh, sun and fun called South Lakeland. South Lakeland. And, Lakeland. Several yeah. airplanes, and, uh, uh, so I got to explore the community pretty well actually this year. And, uh, there's uh, always some exciting new stuff. Of course, we're all keeping an eye on Cessna, and they uh, made a big change in their sport, which is their Why did they ever. <laughs> Tell us. Uh, the phrase, Well, they uh, have been working with the Rotax engine, and the one they showed at AirVenture 2006 had that engine in it, and, uh, of course, a Cowling to suit that engine. At Sun and Fun 2007, we saw quite a different nose on that uh, Cessna Sport. Uh, kind of a weightlifter bulging cowling kind of thing that uh, accommodated an 0-200 continental in it
4: yeah the cowling looked a little bit like uh... the, the tight cow on a cassette racer mm-hmm. uh... kind of uh... with chipmunk cheeks uh, if you will uh change the way the aircraft look dramatically and the uh, engine change we're told is part of the continuing uh, continuing research and development effort that's going into the Cessna sport because apparently they uh, they they're getting conflicting information or competing information from the uh, pilots that they've surveyed on which engine they prefer Mm-hmm. Some uh, pilots, and I'm sure some uh, flight schools and shops that might buy and rent these and use them for flight instruction, uh, seem to prefer the Continental because it's a known entity to so many more shops than the Rotax. But the uh, Rotax is a favorite of a lot of folks who have come up from uh, from uh, ultralights and uh, light experimental aircraft. Uh, and the o- 912S has developed quite quite a, a, a good service history.
0: Has... has what's... Th- Is Cessna still considering this aircraft to be a research project? I mean, have they made any sort of commitments yet that they're actually going to follow through?
3: Uh, They they have not. Uh, We all heard there was going to be an announcement in the first quarter of 07 uh, last year. And, of course, 07 kind of came and went, and we didn't see any such announcement. But the fact that they put a different engine into it shows that the project is still underway. I have been in touch with their principal writer of their business case that has to be submitted to the uh, uppity-ups in uh, <laughs> in the Textron Corporation uh, to get approval to go forward with this, and they are still continuing. That has not yet been decided. The one thing they've said absolutely for sure, they're done studying, is the market. They are convinced there is a market. Now the question is, will they make it? What form will it take? How will they sell it? Uh, things like that, and... Uh, Regrettably, I understand why they're doing the O two hundred uh, because people that go out seeking a Cessna versus one of these Eastern European LSA is very likely to want things to be kind of the way they've always had them, and that includes continental or lycoming power plants. So I understand completely, but uh, that's a pretty significant weight penalty. The uh, Rotax is a newer, higher technology engine using liquid cooling and things like that to give a much better uh, power to weight ratio. So.
4: And more Uh, fuel efficient.
3: And more fuel efficient. So that we saw that that airplane that we saw there at Sun and Fun out in front of the Cessna Center is probably uh, another 50 or 60 pounds heavier than the Rotax. And even with a new engine that Continental claims they're working on for light sport, it'll still be 30 pounds more. And Cessna admitted last fall that they were fighting a useful load challenge. So those two things would seem to be converging and might still suggest They could go with the Rotax engine purely for weight
0: savings. Mm -hmm. What else did you see down there? You thought was cool.
3: Well, there were um, uh, one of the other things that happened that was kind of significant is Sun and Fun has never done an aircraft sweepstakes like Sporties does, like AOPA does, like Air Venture does. And they've now joined that parade, and interestingly, their very first candidate was an LSA. Uh Uh, They're going to use the American Flyer, and uh, that sweepstakes award will be done at next year's Sun and Fun, but pretty significant. Uh, Another big organization that has to go on name for now was considering LSA in their giveaway, but didn't do it this year. That may happen in the future, but it's just kind of a sign that these uh, light, sport aircraft are, are making serious inroads into the community of aviation. That's great. Oh, well, gosh, Dan,
1: it makes a lot of sense to give away an LSA to somebody who may not even have a pilot certificate at this point to get them started in the right direction.
3: Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of people, I mean, that in, in general aviation, with lots of experience and so forth, that haven't really accepted it yet, but there's almost no denying that the sport pilot certificate, it's not called a license, and the light sport aircraft, especially the special light sport aircraft, are really the new entry point in aviation. Yeah. Why would you go spend eight to ten thousand dollars on a private or something less than that on a recreational if you could go get a sport pilot certificate for two to four, thousand dollars? Great discount under that all of which time counts if you choose to go on to private or commercial or ATP or what have you. Uh, But clearly, if if that's a place where you can get a license and start to enjoy aviation and it costs you significantly less money, I think that's where most people will start since there's no penalty for starting there.
1: I know that's the the truth because I'm watching FBOs add Uh these LSAs in and do exactly that. Bring in even their Part 141 pilots at the LSA level first.
2: Yeah, there's a, a new uh, <clears throat> I say new uh, new to me uh, flight school here in the DC area, uh, and they're using LSAs. I won't say exclusively, but uh, they're they're certainly marketing um, their services as an LSA school. Yeah, and it's, it's what's, great to what, see.
4: What what's phenomenal, did, just from my perspective, is the uh, the, the inordinate variety of designs. Uh, and configurations that we're seeing in the uh, LSA among those 50 designs that have been approved. I mean, uh, you got a little of everything from, uh, as as I mentioned, uh, CGS Aviation's uh, in development of its Hawk LSA, which is going to be very similar to the experimental and ultralight version, uh, aluminum tube and dacron covering, to uh, Randy Schlitter's uh, uh, S7. LSA Courier, a little tandem bush plane that uh, evolved out of a a kit design that he's produced for years at Rand's in Hays, Kansas, to the very sophisticated uh, and and very quick uh, models like the uh, CT from Flight Designs that Cruises up there, 110, 115-knot range, and uh, will go a long, long way carrying about 110 pounds of luggage. Uh, It's just all over the map, and I don't think I've seen this much variety uh, in the entry level in years. What
1: what fascinated me the most was coming across the Toxo, which is from Spain, where they re-engineered a kit airplane to become an LSA. They actually went back and re-engineered it to slow it down and make it an LSA aircraft. You only do that if you think you have a market. Right, yeah.
3: The beauty And the beauty for these folks is that there's a potential world market. We have nothing to compare with that. When Cirrus won their uh, long-fought effort to become certified, as did Columbia and Diamond and some other new names, uh, when they took the Cirrus over to Europe, they had to go country by country and gain approval. That cost millions more they say whereas for an aircraft in the LSA world if these standards continue to proliferate as they have started to do hypothetically a Spanish or an American or a Czech Republic or an Australian producer can say I'm making an LSA and I can sell it anywhere in the world that's a
0: pretty cool development in very to that cool. diversity that they it's very 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 exciting Dan is there anything else you want to tell us about that I've neglected to ask you about uh, well, I think we hit
3: all the high points but okay. I certainly appreciate an opportunity to uh, speak on my favorite subject and uh well we love uh, hearing it you now and, uh, your cast of uh, characters here on the air
0: so. well thank you i I don't want to kick you out if you, do you can you stick with us for about another 10 or 15 minutes while we wrap things up I sure can well great uh so so gang what's uh we only have about 10 or 15 minutes longer here but uh, is there any of uh, more stories floating around that uh, we shouldn't put off until next week Well... They're all scrambling to look at the... Uh, well, I'll jump in while you guys will look at the list here. I'm going to come up with... Here's my off field landing of the week. Remember, I was going to make this into a feature. Uh, how about the uh, How about the T-28 Trojan uh, Warbird that had an engine failure and landed on the beach in Southern California, which just has got to be an image. Apparently, it landed on a fairly exclusive residential area uh, called Mandalay Beach Park Oh, near, yeah near Oxnard. And uh, apparently, he was flying as a flight of two with another... Uh, Trojan and had an engine failure, apparently a ball of flame, someone described, uh, f- shooting out of the bottom of the uh, engine. That's and, always a bad sign. And yeah. apparently uh, they are already over the beach, and uh, I guess he sort of was initially uh, looking at the water and then realized the beach was a good choice, and so set it down on the beach, and the fire department were there pretty quickly, and they foamed the engine, and uh, everybody walked away. So uh, uh, it wasn't clear the story I read whether or not the airplane was damaged, but... Uh, but uh, uh, Somebody's wallet definitely was. Yeah, but yeah. kudos another another good off off field landing. That's my off field landing of the week. What other stories? Well, the uh, on beach landing, on, on beach,
4: beach landing, an on, on beach, beach landing. landing yeah, <laughs> and the pilot's name was Sandy Beach. No, uh, the uh, our good folks at our friendly aviation administration uh, within the past few days issued a uh, series of talking points. To convince us doubters among the general aviation community, uh, just how benign and uh, and, and painless, and, uh, and 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 fair, their proposal for reauthorizing the FAA and yeah. nearly quadrupling our fuel taxes and they're definitely not going to go down stuff. without a
0: fight, are they? Well, they there's a
4: new there's a new group there's a new group a new 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 voice in town called the Alliance for Aviation Across America. Uh, I'm sure Jack will put the uh, link that I posted uh, uh, in the uh, in, in the show notes. Absolutely, they launched about a week ago with about 2,200 to 2,500 members. I don't remember right off the top, but uh, right after the FAA came out with its talking points, uh, this new group responded with uh, its counter talking points. And since the FAA's information had a "trust us, this is accurate" tone to it, that is, <laughs> they, they didn't cite any sources. They didn't send us to any any information that backed up their statements. They just said, "Here's what we're saying." trust us it's accurate. The Alliance for Aviation Across America and these counter-talking points go chapter and verse uh, what's wrong with the FAA's talking points and what's wrong with their proposal. Uh, now, it's been my good fortune to hear from all three of my federal lawmakers here in Kansas in recent weeks, Congressman Todd Teahart, uh, Senator Sam Brownback, Senator Pat Roberts, Uh, all seem to be coming down on the uh, side of the issue that you might expect from lawmakers that represent a town like Wichita, Kansas. Uh, That said, there's still a lot of gray area over how this is going to proceed in Congress. Nothing new has been written or proposed. They're still doing hearings. There's some lawmakers that feel like maybe there's some wiggle room here to give the FAA part of what it wants uh, and give the, F, uh, the, the GA people what they want and set off on a hybrid of this proposal. We don't want to go there. No, we don't. So my my, my monthly reminder, and I'll shut up about this until May. Make your voice heard because it's your wallet, your flying time, your access to the airspace that's at risk here. Uh, Do it now. Do it often. Uh, Don't be afraid to be a little bit strident about it. But be polite because uh, the guys you need to talk to, the lawmakers in your state, uh, they will listen to polite suggestions and firm assertions a lot better than they'll listen to the rants of a maniac like me. So <laughs> get out there, make your voice heard, protect your right to fly inexpensively. Let's uh, let's keep this uh, let's keep this rock rolling in the right direction.
2: Go yeah. ahead, Jeb. Yeah, a couple of pieces of uh, meat to throw back on that bone Um The House uh, Aviation Subcommittee and and, uh, the people who are going to write that that eventual bill in the House are pretty much uh, uh, resigned to discarding uh, the FAA proposal as it came from the FAA. Uh, On the Senate side, there's much less of a consensus. um, And, in fact, uh, I think I mentioned a few episodes back where – uh, the chairman of the uh, Senate Aviation Subcommittee, uh, Senator Rockefeller uh, of West Virginia, is is keeping all of his options open on this topic. Um, but it, it's pretty clear now that uh, the FAA and the airlines are, are trying to pursue something I would call a divide and conquer uh, uh, strategy, where they're saying, well, you know, we're not going to put any uh, any user fees on those airplanes weighing less than six thousand pounds. Uh, we're going to you know, right. put them on the biz jets and <clears throat> the heavy turboprops, etc. And and that's just uh, uh, that's a strategy thing. That's a camel's nose in the tent thing. Because even if they succeed in that, and even if light GA is not subject to user fees now, um, wait five years. We will be. Um, the the, the punchline here is we all have to stand together, or we will we we we'll all have to uh, hang together. Hang together, or, or we will certainly hang uh, uh, separately. Um, oppose this. Keep keep up the opposition. Keep up the pressure, and uh, hopefully, uh, when we come out the other end of this tube, uh, we'll all be better off. For oh, yeah. it. A- A- Amy or Dan, want
0: to add anything to that?
1: Well, yeah, I want to add that uh, one of the nice things about the Alliance for Aviation Across America website is that it's got a link for you to right away write Uh letters to your senator and your congressman. Exactly. And that's critical, that you do just that. Use the link, write the letter. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What I would
3: add to it is that, you know, it's kind of like up in Minnesota when there's a snore snowstorm, absolute strangers get together and help one another while this user fee thing stinks big time, it is having some effect at pulling aviators together in a way I haven't
0: seen for a while. That's true. That's, That's true. A very That's good true. point, Dan. Yeah. What else?
4: Well, i, I got to give my – we were talking about Diamond and their, uh, their uh, uh, dual engine failure on their new uh, compression ignition airplane, the DA-42. Uh, they're working on something else over there. Christian Dries, the uh, owner of the company, the head honcho, uh, one of their top engineers, uh, had a little piece uh, was quoted recently. They are working on a human-carrying fuel cell-powered aircraft. Now, fuel cells, for those of you that haven't heard this phrase before, uh, fuel cells are a device that uh, that create electricity out of hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, they're very efficient. They create no afterproduct except water. Uh, they were... You know, about the size of, uh, of a 1950s computer when they originally hit the streets, they were used on some of the space launches uh, early in Apollo and and Gemini and to get to the moon and back uh, to provide electricity and uh, and water for the uh, spacecraft. Now they're coming down in size. There's been experiments on powering automobiles with them. Uh, I'm just heartened to, to hear that they're coming down in size and up in power to the extent where Diamond is uh, hoping in 2008, I believe it was, to be flying a uh, an experimental design powered by a fuel cell energy system. Uh, Still a lot of questions to answer, but the, the the fact that those boys over in Austria are still out on the cutting edge and they're experimenting and looking for new ways to make flying efficient and clean, uh, I think it's great. I wish them well with that, and, yeah, uh, and, 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 I, and I'd like to be around to shoot that when it happens.
1: Yeah. Anything that will stop us from having to burn up dead dinosaurs would yep. make me happy.
4: Yep. That's right. Absolutely. Well, along the same vein... Uh, uh, there's work going on to uh, with uh, uh, Sir Richard Branson and Boeing uh, to develop biofuels for jet airliners or, for that matter, any turbine, uh, uh, turbine-powered turbine aircraft. It will work in an airliner to work in a turboprop. But uh, the idea of converting uh, uh, vegetation to a, uh, a jet fuel that's sustainable, clean, and uh infinitely renewable just another way to cut the ties with the big oil companies and uh and all those not so friendly nations that we keep having to do business with
0: but it isn't going to have that same jet fuel smell you know that kind of thing you get
1: you <laughs> no, know yeah, it's it's gonna, smell like it smells like french fries
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well it's a little bit like uh we used
4: to see on the circuit uh the uh, uh an alcohol powered air show team from uh from up in the uh, corn country north I of here, we were an alcohol. Yeah, power. yeah
0: that's what I was going to say. Okay. You, you mean the airplanes different are kind different, another alcohol different kind
4: of alcohol power. <laughs> power? That's right. That's right. And uh, these guys flew RV4s with uh, modified uh, Lycoming engines. Uh, they were all fuel injected. Uh, uh, my my bride and partner, Annie Best, did a story on them uh, some I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, haven 't seen much of them lately, but uh, it was always fun to hang around when they were getting ready to to, uh, to fire up the, the the propeller spinners on all their aircraft had little martini glasses painted on them <laughs> and if you stood downwind of the exhaust, you got the distinct smell of a corn mash distillery that just made you want to run like hell to beer thirty <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we 're reaching the end of our allotted time here, so in a top uh, good thing with, with good reason. Yeah, we probably we 're probably approaching that place. Um, anybody want to have any quick shout-outs for anything? I'm going to give everybody's web addresses in just a second, but if there are any other things going on that you want to give a quick shout-out to, Jeb, Dave, yeah, well, Dan, go ahead.
3: This is Dan. i got one more thing that's kind of exciting back in our LSA world again. Okay, quickly. FAA, FAA has released or has put out a new Notice of Proposed Rulemaking to finally resolve the issue of the so-called repositionable gear a term Yay. that's going away. They're going to call it retractable like they should have all along. Oh,
4: wow. But it wow.
3: appears to, by June, if there are no great uh, naysayer comments that come in, hopefully not, uh, that that issue will finally be resolved. So that's uh, at least two and, and, years in the making. And, we're and glad this, to see
4: it. this is for amphibs and, and flow planes as opposed to retract on land planes, correct?
3: Yes. Thank you, Dave, for clarifying. It's only for uh amphibious seaplanes but that has been a bone of contention for a while because the rule writers made it one way in the preamble and another way in the rule and those two things were in conflict and uh and and left a whole bunch of people trying to produce these interesting machines hanging and that appears that it will finally be resolved so you know one step backwards or maybe 10 step backwards on user fees but hey at least fa has done something good this week yeah they have there you go. anybody uh, that's else good. Shoutouts?
4: That's, good. that's good for the buyers and the flyers of those amphibs and the manufacturers they'll finally be you know free to move forward on it and the buyers won't have that confusion of whether it's going to be legal Amen. That's
2: very
0: cool anyone else
2: nope not for me
0: nope okay well, I want to thank everyone. Dan, Dan Johnson, thanks very much for joining us this morning. It's always a pleasure. Um, your personal website is uh, bydanjohnson.com. That's B-Y Dan Johnson, all one word, dot .com. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, does uh, Llama have a website, Dan?
3: Llama also has a website. It's very simple. It's llama.bz, not B-I-Z, uh, that'll get you a lot of the animals, but if you want a of the airplanes, it's L A M A dot B Z
0: dot B Z, as in sort of business, sort of. That's correct. B Z. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Dan. We appreciate you being with us. Amy, people uh, want to learn more about Amy and her work can go to the uh, the uh, Aviation for Women uh, magazine website, which is at w a i dot org slash magazine. That's whiskey alpha India ORG slash magazine. Thank you, Amy, for being with us this morning. Very welcome. (laughs) Dave Higdon, of course, is always to be found at DaveHigdon.com Lots of great aviation pictures there and uh, information about his latest schemes and, oh, excuse me, his (laughs) (laughs) some beautiful, some beautiful, beautiful aviation pictures there uh, for viewing and purchasing. That's at DaveHigdon.com Jeb, of course, at AviationSafetyMagazine.com and also AvWeb.com and, of course, JebBurnside.com I'm Jack Hodgson at JackHodgson.com and you can visit all of us at the uncontrolledairspace.com website. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time. Happy flying, night. everybody. Keep those cards and letters coming. Johnny's
3: kind of side up. More of his science, unblind faith, make blaze reliance. What we need, more of his science, blind faith, make blaze reliance. What we need, more of his science, science, science.
0: Uh, you yeah, can email your suggestions right. and feedback about this podcast so to podcast at uncontrolledairspace dot com.
3: Science doesn't blind me. Think you're smart. Form a line behind me. You won't find me. Truth to tell to be a man who suffers rules very well. I the opposite in got time to
0: interact with crystal and uh, sounds like your hand continues to improve, huh? It's doing better.
4: Uh, Good. you know, my 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 typing errors are going down. Uh it looks like
0: it's healing well. So. I'm sorry, your typing comment makes. What's the old joke? going to go there. the I'll old joke ahead. about the guy who said, "said Doctor, Doctor, will I be able to play the piano?" And the guy says, "Oh, of course you will." And he says, Oh, that's terrific because I never could before." <laughs> <laughs>